and uh, pray for this, this man who's about to preach to us. I'll be preaching from uh, the 8th chapter of Mark, so if you want to be looking at that. Give you a little heads up. Can you think of a better way to start a worship service than by watching people be baptized? And did you know that we got our name Baptist not from John the Baptist? A lot of people think that's where we got our name. And we admire John the Baptist very much. And he was a great man of God. But he is not the reason we're called Baptists. We are called Baptists because of what we saw a few minutes ago. We're called Baptists because when we started out as just a splintered group off of a much larger group, we left the larger group because they were sprinkling. And we said, wait a minute, that is not the way you baptize. The Bible says that we are buried with Him in baptism and we rise again to walk in a new kind of a life. And so we split off of these others and at first they just called us Anabaptists. Pretty soon they just, and they always did it with a snarl. Anabaptists. Those Baptists. I mean, like we didn't bathe or something. I I never figured. But as a result of that, finally they just dropped all the prefixes and pretexts and just called us Baptists. But it's because that we say in the Scripture, baptism is for believers only. Baptism is by immersion only. You see, you cannot get from sprinkling the buried with Christ and rising again to new life. And you know, some people have actually been saved as they watched a baptismal service and they said, that's what the gospel is all about. And it is. So I, I just can't think of a better way to start a service than for us to baptize some new believers in Jesus Christ and welcome to the family. It's the greatest family on the planet. Well, by now, even Baptists should have been able to have found Mark chapter 6. See, I had a reason for saying what I said. I know Baptist. What I want us to think together about this morning is the danger of compromise. And here in the sixth chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 14, and King Herod heard of him for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias. And others said 
that it is a prophet or one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod had himself had set forth and laid upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he married her. For John said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias and would have killed him if she could, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him when he had heard him, and did many things, and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lord, high captains, and chief estate of Galilee. And when the daughter of said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou shalt, and I will give it to thee. And he sware unto her, Wherefore thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half and she went forth and said unto her mother, Did I know? And she said, The head John. And she came in straightway with haste to the king and asked the king, I will that thou by and by in the charger give me the head of John. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet, for his own sake and for the sake of those that sat with him, he would not reject him. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head be bought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and bought his head in a charger, gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in the tomb. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all the things, both what had been done and what they Father, we just want to thank you for including this passage in your word. Sometimes we read passages like this and we get a little bit squeamish and, and we wonder why, why would God want that in his word? He wanted it in his word. Teach us a very valuable He wanted it in his word so that we may understand that following Jesus isn't always the easy thing. And rarely is it the popular thing to do. And for some people, as was true with John the Baptist, they have paid a tremendous price for the sake of knowing and sharing and loving 
we need to realize that we stand on the shoulders with some very gigantic spiritual and we thank you for that. And Lord, as we look at this passage, may there's some truths come out of this that will help us in our daily walk. In Jesus' name. I said just a moment ago that we're, we'll be looking at the dangers And we don't have to look any further than right here in our text this morning for a classic example of what compromise can do in a person's life. Actually, there are a couple of different ways to uh, define now, the dictionary says compromise is a settlement of differences reached by mutual consent. But today, it seems like a better definition for compromise, at least the kind we keep hearing a lot about in the news and coming out of, uh, from our political leaders, is compromise is caving in. The book of Judges ends with this verse. Every man did that which was right in his own mind. Isn't that pretty much where we are right now? We decide. We call it moral relativism. There are no absolutes. There are no times when something is always right or it's always wrong, so we're told. And this way we can excuse the most aberrant behavior that you can imagine. And Herod is such a good Example of what we're thinking about today. There's another passage from Isaiah that reminds me a great deal of where we are today. In Isaiah, the fifth chapter, verses 20 and 21, it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Does that sound familiar? That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own I mean, you would think somebody had just ripped that out of today's paper. It is so relevant. Isn't it amazing many times that we'll find a passage that was written, all of them were written thousands of years ago, but it is more relevant today than it was when it was written way back there. God's Word is a living Word. 
remember a number of years ago I attended a retreat and the facilitator in one of the groups that I was in um, made this statement. He said that if you don't stand you'll fall for anything. First of all, as we look at this passage in front of us, we find that compromise gives way to a watered-down condition. Look at verse 20 again. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Let's get the picture. John, or Herod, had been out and he had heard that this guy John the Baptist was preaching and he had heard some things about this man and that he didn't uh, back off of anything. And so out of curiosity, Herod goes to hear John preach. And John, as he is preaching, looks out in the crowd and he sees Herod, the king there. Well, Herod, I'm sure, was used to people building him up and all this kind of stuff when he was recognized in the crowd. That's not what John did. John pointed him out. And he said, you are living with your brother Philip's wife because you have taken her from him and God is going to judge you for that. Evidently, he had not read how to win friends and influence people because that ain't the way you do it. What was strange about all this is that Herod, even though he was embarrassed and he could have slid off into oblivion if he could have found a way to do it, something told him. Right then and there, you would have thought Herod would have had his men take him, put him in the deepest, darkest, Dungeon, dungeon you can find and throw away the key. He didn't. But news got back to Herodias. His wife, who used to be his brother's wife, and she was she had made up her mind. Waiting for just the right moment she could get him. And it finally came when Herod was having a birthday party. And he invited all of his top lords and anybody who was anybody to come to, to the birthday party. And Herodias' daughter came in 
and was the main entertainment of the night. And she danced, and it pleased Herod to the extent that he said to her, you can ask me anything, I'll give it to you, even to the half of my kingdom. That was the that he didn't have a king. You see, he was a puppet king. Rome controlled everything. And Rome decided who was going to be the king here and the king over here and the king over here. But he could also move you just like that. And these men knew that. Herod knew that. That's why they were always placating him. Philip, his brother, is a good example. Philip went to an area that he renamed Caesarea Philippi, which means city of Caesar and Philip. And the reason he did it is to just butter up Caesar, to make sure that he was locked in pretty secure in his position. And not only did he do that, he erected this great white marble temple to the godhead of Caesar because Rome taught Caesar is a God. Now, Philip didn't really believe that Caesar was a God. But in order to secure his position, he went ahead and built this beautiful white marble temple. So really, Herod Antipas didn't have a kingdom to give her half up, but it sounded good. So she goes to her mother and says, Should I ask? It was her mother that put that in. She had asked her mother what she had asked for, and she told her. So she goes and comes back and says to Herod, Here's what I want. He wasn't ready for it. I want the head of my And I want it on a silver But it says that for two reasons he gave her what she wanted. First of all, he had promised her, and everybody there heard him promise her this. So to save face, he had to do that. And to keep peace in the family for his wife, he had to. they bring it back, hand it to the girl. She takes it and hands it to her mother. I've often wondered, well, what's it in there? Do you put something like that on your mantle? You know, and invite your friends over? We know what happened to the rest of his body. His disciples came 
took up his body and gave it up but look at verse 29. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things. Heard him. Wow. In other words, here's the picture. Every now and then, Herod would sneak off and go down into the dungeon and go to the cell where they were keeping John the Baptist. And he would get into a conversation with John. And he always knew what was going to happen. And it wasn't going to come out good for him because John never backed down. And John would say, I told you once, I've told you twice, you are living in adultery. would come back and have a conference with John, and John never, ever wavered. No, you see, if you don't stand up, you'll fall. And it's all, always what happens to us when we decide to when we decide to uh, look the other way, when we decide that uh, it's okay this time. Gives way. Feelings win. As I said a moment ago, Herod didn't have to give just a sliver of it away, let alone half of it. And he wanted to build himself up in the eyes of his cronies and in the eyes of the Lord's that were there that day at the birthday party. But you know what? Herod was Jewish. And the Jews did not believe in celebrating birthdays. And the reason they did not believe in celebrating birthdays was that it was connected to a pagan practice. And therefore, they did not Observe celebrating birthdays. And here, Herod threw the party for himself. And this great party here invited anybody who was anybody come and be a part of the party, and they did. Not only that, but the dance that Herodias' daughter did Not a ballet. No, no. It was very suggestive. It was the kind of dance 
that temple prostitutes back in Rome did in order to lift up their The closest thing we could probably equate it to here in our culture would be a strip tease. I mean, this guy was going against everything that he had ever believed or ever said he believed. Just to impress his boss. When I was in Uncle Sam's yacht, was the last six months I was on a Far Eastern cruise and we were over in Japan. I had made friends with a guy aboard ship by the name of Ray Fuller. And Ray and I went to Bible studies together and and did some Bible studying aboard the ship we were on. And uh, one night while we were in Yakuska, Japan, I was assigned door position. What that meant was that there were several from different ships that were had the SP on their sleeves, saying sure. It was sort of like the police or the navy. And our job was mainly just to walk down the main streets there in Yakuska and go into the bars and make sure that everything was okay. And we would just walk in, go through the back, and then walk out and go to the next one. And I remember going in one of the bars. And as we headed toward the back of the bar, who should I see but Ray Ford? Well, I, of course, I was on duty, and I had all I all my job was to make sure that nothing was wrong. And so I just walked through. And just as I got to the door, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I turned and looked, and it was Ray. He said, Alan, uh, I, I don't, don't want you to get the wrong impression. He said, but one of the guys that's in my uh, division has a hard time getting back to the ship. Because he's always having too much drink. So I have been coming along to help him, make sure he gets back. You know, it wasn't too much longer. They need a third person to go along. They needed somebody to help Ray and the other guy get back. Isn't it interesting how sin works in our lives? You know, it always starts out so attractive. And even innocent looking. I remember there used to be this billboard showed this eloquently dressed man, and it said, and the man of distinction drinks such and such. And I thought, you know, if they were really honest, what they would also do, they would have another billboard right next to it, and it would show this same guy in the gutter, and this is what happens when you get fooled by Satan. See, 
stand And one other thing we notice here is they compromise his way to pleasing them rather than pleasing God. As I said earlier, actually, Herod, all the Herods, were Jews. They had drifted. So far from Judaism. They had drifted so far from what they knew was right and honorable. And all of a sudden, it was more important to impress his buddy than it was. Look again at verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet for his oath's sake, and for their sake, which sat with him, Rejected. What good is an oath if you don't have character to back it up? He didn't. Not at all. See, what started out as sort of a nice, cute, playful affair turns in. And isn't that the way Peter over in his epistle describes Satan? That he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may illustration we have. The danger never step forward. Step forward. And can you think of anybody that you know who compromises and that you admire. So the people that I think about that I admire so much are the people who are true to their word. They are people that you can depend upon. It just seems like they're getting fewer and fewer. So here's Herod. Pretending to be something he really wasn't. He was really not. He was a 
He was not a real man who would stand and remain true for what he stood for. The scripture You see, if you don't stand, you'll fall. I pray that there's nobody here day who has never made a commitment of their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but I would be very naive to believe that, not with a group of And I'm not pointing a finger at anybody because I don't know very many. Well, I know a number of you, but I don't know you that well. And in fact, the only person here who knows you that well is you. I pray that if anything in this passage today has spoken to you, maybe nudged you a little bit, pray that today be the day that you will say, Lord, I'm committing myself to you. I want to stand for something. I want my life to count for something. I would hate to go through life and look back and not really see any real achievement with the Lord's help in my life. So we come to the end of the message and as we think about our relationship to the Lord. that today will be the day that you say, Lord, here I am. I accept you into my life. No strings attached. You are Pastor will be standing down here to receive anybody who give their life to the Lord. Let me tell you something. What I'm asking you to do is the greatest decision you can ever make in all of your life. And as you go through life, you realize that life is filled with decisions. And it seems like as we get older, the decisions get bigger. But none compare with the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Why can I say that? Why do I say that? I say it because if it's real with you and you make the decision to follow Him, all the other decisions will be influenced by that one. All of Get rid where you work, who you run around with. If you're single, who you might marry later on, whatever. So we're asking you this morning. 
make that great decision. Father, we are so grateful for your patience, your long-suffering. And Lord, actually, in a way, we're all like Herod. We have all done some compromising. Lord, I, I pray for your cleansing for the compromising that's been done. Help us to make a decision right now. No more. That's it. Lord, may each person here forget about any and everybody else that's here and concentrate on themselves and their relationship to you. And if it isn't you want it to be, may they make it that you want it to be. Like Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. Thank you, Pastor Allen. What a great challenge from God's Word. I just want us to give us an opportunity to respond to that. God's spoken to your heart today. Some area in your life that um, that you have allowed yourself to compromise. And uh, God's bringing you back to Him today. You need to say, Lord, I never should have done that. I never should have gone that way. Lord, I've let myself drift from you today. I want to come back close to you, Lord. We're going to sing. Our altar's going to be open. Maybe this is the day you need to come and just give your life to Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, come, respond to the Lord as we sing. Still in the newborn cry. There in the light of every sunrise. There in the shadows of this life, your great grace. It's there on the mountain top. There in every day in the mundane. There in the sorrow and the dancing. Your great grace, oh, such grace. From the creation to the cross, there from the cross into eternity, your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. It's there on the wedding day. There in the weeping by the graveside. There in the very breath we breathe. Your great grace, the same for the rich and poor, 
The same for the saint and for the sinner. Enough for this whole wide world. Your great grace, oh such grace. From the creation to the cross. And there from the cross into eternity, your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. There in the darkest night of the soul, And there in the sweetest songs of victory, your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. Your great grace, oh, such grace, your great grace. Oh, such grace.